stand in awe of everything that you are. You are the almighty creator of the universe, and that you love each of us, your children, with a love that surpasses our understanding. Lord, we come before you today with hearts in so many different places. Some of us are filled with sorrow, weighed down with burdens, seeking to find a glimpse of the hope you promise. Some of us are filled with joy, excited about all that you are doing and all that you will do. And we know that you, our Father, will meet each one of us exactly where we are. We ask that you would fill us with your presence, Lord. Lift our faces to you and remind us that you love us with an everlasting love. May you be glorified through our worship and may we be changed by our time here with you. It is in your most holy name that we pray. Amen. Just a couple of things that I want to remind you of that are in the bulletin, besides just the regular activities. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. So we're going to be, children are going to be processing with palm branches. And so if that, if you have some children who might want to be a part of that, you see an announcement in there about when to arrive. And they'll be doing that in all the services. And also on Easter morning, which is two weeks from today, we'll be baptizing people as we do each Easter. If you're interested in being baptized that day, let me know today or at the latest tomorrow. I'm putting together a class this week to uh, prepare people for that. Take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today before you're seated. I'm going to have you stand up in a second as we read uh, the Word of God, the Gospel, but uh, so that um, you can know it's found. It's John chapter 19, verses 28 through 37, and it's found on page 1073 if you want to follow through in in the Bibles themselves. But let's stand together as we read the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 28 through 37. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge on it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, 
And the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And another scripture says they will look on the one they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. At this time, the ushers are going to come forward and assist us as we give God our tithes and our offerings.
Because of the cross, we know that God loves us, and he calls us to bring to him all the burdens, the concerns, the cares of our hearts and our lives. And we have the opportunity now to pray together, and if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you pray, please come and join me. Lord, we thank you for the cross. For all that it means for the world, for us collectively and for us individually. We thank you for the gift of your son that changes everything. We hear you calling us to bring to you all the burdens and the concerns, the cares, the struggles, as well as our gratitude and our joy. Father, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. For those among us, connected to us, who are in need. For those grieving. For those in need of healing. For those who are struggling with relationships that are not where they should be. For those who are anxious and worried about the future. For all the burdens and the concerns, thank you for hearing us and for working in the way you know is best to bring about the answer. Father, we pray that you will not only hear our prayers for us, but our prayers for the world. We pray, Father, for for the places of the world where there is so much violence There's war, there's pain. People are displaced from their homes. We ask for your grace. We pray, Father, for your mercy upon Pope Francis as he leads the Catholic Church. Let him be a leader who follows after your heart. Give him wisdom in those who advise him. Help him to represent you and your kingdom in a way that would honor you and please you. We pray, Father, for the leaders of all the churches of the world. We pray that you would give them wisdom to lead with grace and compassion and truth and in the spirit of Christ. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. We offer them to you with confidence because we know you love us and you love to have us come to you with all of our burdens. And we give you thanks and gratitude and we pray in the name of Jesus, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.
is amazing your love for us let us grasp more and more of the depths of your love for each one of us and what what you want that love to mean and to be in our lives let your word be clear to us and give us hearts ready to receive and we ask this through Jesus amen Please be seated. I'm not the most patient driver. I get irritated with people who... uh, drive slow in the left-hand lane. And I don't think I'm alone. I was watching the Today Show this week and they had a panel discussion and one of the things, the little topics they were talking about was uh, someone had, a woman I think had, had gotten a ticket for driving two miles under the speed limit in the left-hand lane of an interstate. And to a person on the panel, they said, yes, you should get a ticket for that because they're slowing up the traffic and of course they had all these arguments about you know, how it was going to cause accidents. And for me, it's just get out of my way. This is the fast lane. I want to drive fast. <clears throat> I, I read not too long ago about a guy who was sitting at a stoplight, one car in front of him, and waiting. And the guy in front of him was talking on his cell phone. He was shuffling papers in the passenger seat, wasn't paying a bit of attention, and the light turned green. And he didn't notice. 
And, and the guy behind him is starting to get really irritated. And he's banging on the steering wheel on the dash. And he's yelling at the guy and, and swearing at the guy and doing everything he can to get the guy's attention. And finally the light turns yellow and the, and the guy behind him just starts laying on his horn. Well, the guy in front hears the horn, looks up, sees the yellow light, steps on the accelerator and gets through. But leaves the guy behind him sitting at the red light again. He's not very happy, as you can well imagine. In fact, he's fuming. And he notices some movement to his left, and he turns, and he sees, stares into the barrel of a gun being held by a police officer. And the officer says, sir, turn off your car, take your hands off the steering wheel. Okay. Get out of the car, puts his hands on the car, cuffs him, puts him in the back of his patrol car, and arrests him. And, and he's so surprised and frightened he doesn't even think to ask questions about what in the world's going on he takes him down to the police station he is booked fingerprinted photographed and put in a cell two hours later another officer comes gets him brings him out to the booking desk and there's the officer that arrested him with his personal belongings and he hands him back to him says sir i'm sorry but i i got mixed up he said, I, I, was, I was, saw you at the light there, yelling, swearing, doing all kinds of things for the guy in front of you because he wouldn't move, all this stuff, and you were just going ballistic about it. And I looked up, and I noticed on the back of your car you had a bumper sticker that said, follow me to church, and an ichthus uh, symbol on the back of your car. And all I could figure was that you'd stolen the car because I didn't think Christians would act like that. I'm thinking, wow, that's harsh. I probably could get arrested sometimes. Isn't it funny how hard it is to see hypocrisy when it's right in front of us? How hard it is to see it when it's right in us? We could all, I'm sure, in a moment, think of stuff that we have done that would fit that category of not acting like We should. And there's something about being in those scenarios that we judge people as being wrong. I mean, it's obvious the guy, second guy in the car had judged that the guy in front of him was an idiot. And he was wrong. And so he could treat him any way he wanted to. He deserved it. And something in our mind sort of shifts when we start judging people and we believe we can treat them any way we want to because we're right, they're wrong. And we go off the rails with people. And we justify it because we judge them wrong. And when I read this this final section of Jesus on the cross, I see the religious leaders doing just that. Now, crucifixion is this horrible way to die. The Romans don't do this by accident. The Romans create crucifixion, or at least use crucifixion more than anybody else, and they do it publicly as a deterrent to crime. I mean, if you know that you rob someone, murder someone, start a riot, that this is what's going to happen to you, You might think twice about it. At least that's their thought process. And so these crucifixions are very public and they are brutal. And and the people will hang, Romans let the people hang on the cross often for days on end until they die. Or until the animals eat them. I mean it's horrific. So the Jews come to, the Jewish leaders come to the pilot and say, look, we know you let these guys hang on the cross a long time, but it's Friday. The Sabbath is tomorrow. We don't want these guys hanging on the cross during the Sabbath. So can you break their legs and finish them off? Now, breaking the legs was a common way that the Romans would, would expedite crucifixion. You know, when you're hanging, standing on the cross, you use your legs to hold up your chest. And you can breathe easier. When your legs are broken, you have no way of, of using your legs to help you. And you accelerate asphyxiation. 
And besides that, these metal, big metal pipes and clubs that they would use to break the legs would often break the skin and it would, they would have profuse bleeding and that also would speed up death. I mean, it's horrible. And the religious leaders come and say, we want you to do that. I find it fascinating that they don't just say, hey, do you think you could take those guys down? They are very specific. Break their legs. And they don't do that because they're starting to feel a little bit guilty about what they've done to Jesus. They don't ask that because they feel some sense of compassion for the people on the cross. Uh, They don't don't do that because they they just kind of want to move on to the next thing. They're very clear. They ask for this to happen because tomorrow is the Sabbath. And they don't want their Sabbath sullied by people hanging on a cross. Really? You would think in some, some place here, there'd be some compassion. And there's none. Absolutely none. And I'll be quite frank with you. You and I, maybe in different ways, I would think in different ways, wrestle with showing compassion to people that we believe are wrong. Something in our mind clicks and wants to say they deserve it. They're just getting, they're getting what, they, what they deserve. It's the natural result of that. If you do that, that's what's going to happen. Sorry, too bad. And we do that with people that, that we feel are wrong about social issues. We do that with people who make lifestyle choices that are different than what we think is right. We do that about theological differences. We do it even about how the church should be, what the church should look like, how the church ought to operate, what ought to be the focus of the church. And we get into all of these fights and arguments with people. And there's nothing wrong with having differences of opinion. That's being human. But in the midst of that, we begin to see people who think differently than us and who live differently than us as the enemy. And we judge them. And the moment we judge them, we give ourselves the freedom to treat them any way we want to. And we start treating people with callous indifference to their circumstances. We do it at different levels. We do it about different things. But we are all tempted to do it. I remember back in the 80s when uh, the HIV AIDS epidemic was just coming to the forefront. The general consensus, at least of the church, the evangelical church, was that this was a homosexual disease. This was a disease that that it was was purely about that lifestyle and and it was it was their thing and far too many people in the church were approaching that disease with a mindset of judgment and i can't tell you how many people i heard both sort of on a national stage as well as people that i conversed with one on one how many people i heard say We should not be wasting money on AIDS research. People are just getting what they deserve. This is ridiculous. And they fought it. They fought it in the media. They fought it with their, they write letters to their congressmen. Don't give money for AIDS research because that is, that is condoning a lifestyle. And I'm thinking to myself, really? That's the response? Can you imagine Jesus saying Look, these people are suffering, hurting, dying. Let's not help them. And yet, it was all over the place. And we've progressed and we've learned and we've done a lot better. But part of it is because we've come to see it's not limited to one group of people. But something in the mindset of our psyche says, these people are wrong, we disagree with them, So we can be callously indifferent to their suffering and to their needs. 
into their pain. But God calls us to more than that. God calls us to be people who embrace compassion. Why? Why do we embrace compassion, particularly toward people we disagree with, toward people who who make choices that we believe are wrong? Why do we embrace compassion with them anyway? Because that's what God does. And that's who God is. You read through the Old Testament over and over and over again. God says, you want to know what kind of God I am? Do you want to know who I am? Do you want to know my nature? Here's my nature. I, I am righteous and holy. And I'm patient and loving and kind and compassionate. In Isaiah's prophecy, he's, in, in chapter 50, he's talking to the to people about the punishment that's going to come on them because they have rejected God and they've worshipped idols and they've turned their backs on God. And then you come to chapter 51 and the prophet begins to turn things around and, and he says, the Lord will have compassion on your ruins because God is a compassionate, loving And you see that message repeated over and over again throughout the prophets. You come to the New Testament and you see this in Jesus. Matthew chapter 9 tells us that Jesus was out in the hillsides and towns and villages. And he says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These are people who are wandering away from God. They're doing their own thing. They're making all kinds of terrible choices. And what is Jesus' response? Hey, you know what? You get what you deserve. That's what happens with that lifestyle. No. He has compassion on them. He loves them. He sees their pain. And he doesn't ignore it. He's not callously indifferent to them. He goes to them. And he gives himself to them. That's what we do. Because that's what God does. And that's who God is. You know, often we talk about our theology and we describe our theology in, in, in terms of what we believe. And we talk about God being the creator and God being sovereign and, and the only way of salvation is Jesus. And we have these wonderful theological statements and they're all true, they're all important, they're, they're all essential to, to understanding what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And we need to embrace them. But I always find it curious that we have very little, if anything, to say most of the time about how we treat people in our theological statements. It's as though we believe that if we get our theology right, then treating people right will just sort of happen. It's the result of our theology. I'm convinced Caring for people, loving people, how we treat people is central to our theology. And if it's not weaving its way through everything that we believe, then we are missing the heart of God. And we're missing so much the central part of what it means to be a Christian. And it doesn't mean that we throw out truth. Truth is essential. And believing right things is essential. It's just they're not mutually exclusive. Embracing truth, living truth, and loving people, being compassionate to people. They aren't mutually exclusive. And showing compassion to people and caring for people and entering into people's pain doesn't mean that we agree with them. It doesn't mean that we condone their lifestyle. It doesn't mean we're not making any kind of statements like that. We're simply saying, if God is compassionate, we're compassionate. If Christ looks on the crowd of people who are making all kinds of terrible choices and is compassionate, we're compassionate. It's what we do. Because the reality is the world will not be changed 
by wonderfully sounding arguments. The world will not be changed by great apologetics. The world will not be changed by getting our theology just right. The world will be changed when people see Jesus in us. And when people begin to see Jesus in us, and when people begin to to experience compassion, when they know we have every right to not show compassion and to judge them, gradually, probably slowly, God uses that to begin to open people's hearts to hear the truth of who he is. And what he can do in a person's life. This doesn't have to happen on a a grand scale. It doesn't have to happen about some of the great things uh, that are going on in, in our society, in our culture. Though I think that's important. It's often in the everyday things of life. It's about, it's about coming together for worship and letting what we do in worship have a bearing on what we do when we leave worship and go out and live. Because really, worship is not just about these group gatherings. It's about life compassion. We don't stop worshiping when we leave the doors of a church. We continue to worship. And what we do here ought to bear on how we live, how we treat people, what we do. And choosing compassion when we want to choose judgment. Some of you may have seen the story that was going around the news a month or so ago about the pastor in Kansas City that went out to eat with some people after church. I think there were eight of them in a group. Went to, I think it was an Applebee's restaurant. And uh, this pastor was paying the, said, you know, give me the bill. And in a restaurant like that, when you have a crowd that, the group that large, they, says on the menu, usually they automatically add their gratuity to your check. So she gets the check, she looks at it, and it says 18% gratuity added to your check. And her response was to write a note on the, on the receipt. I give God 10%. Why should I give you 18 And she zeroed out the tip. The tip was $6.29. Probably thought that was the end of it. But one of the other waitresses took a picture of that receipt with her phone and posted it on the internet. And it just went viral all over the place. I mean, I saw it on all kinds of internet websites, news websites. And, and then, to add insult to injury, when she found out what had happened, she called the restaurant and demanded that the waitress be fired for what she had done. Now, Those kinds of things can happen to all of us. But it's not a coincidence that if you talk to anyone who works, who's worked in the food service industry and restaurant industry, by and large, they hate working Sunday lunch. Because the people that come from church to restaurants tend to be the rudest, most demanding, and and least generous people tipping of anyone all week. And I read that and I think something isn't matching here. Somehow, what we're doing in worship isn't getting out beyond what we do here. And there is a spirit of judgment on people. I can treat you any way I want to because you're beneath me. I can treat you any way I want to because look at what you're doing. I can treat you any way you want, I want to because you don't see things the way I do. I can treat you any way I want to because you take that position, you live that lifestyle, and that's wrong. 
And we have missed the whole point of being a follower of Christ. It comes back to the cross. For Jesus, hanging on the cross, looking down at people who put him there overtly and by their indifference and says, forgive them. It's compassion. To the two men, thieves, crucified next to him, compassion. Is he condoning their lifestyles? Is he condoning what these people have done or not done? Of course not. But there's compassion. If the church lacks love, in a sense, we lack everything. If we lack love, we in, in many ways, we have committed the greatest heresy of all. Because people, no way people could see Jesus in us without compassion and love. And that means that when we're here in worship, we engage ourselves together. See, here's the problem. When we're here in worship, if we're self-centered when we come together, we're going to be self-centered when we go out. So if we come to worship and it's all about me, it's all about what I want, it's all about how I see things, it's all about me, then when we leave this place, you think that's going to change? It's going to be all about me. And when it's all about me, I can treat people any way I want to. Because it's not about Jesus, it's about me. And I know that, that as we wrestle with faith, as we wrestle with being followers of Christ or not, what often nudges us one way or the other are what we see in people who make claims to follow Jesus. And if you have been, if you've been disillusioned by people who've made claims of Christ, about Christ and, and have not been compassionate and have been judgmental, let me just offer a collective request for forgiveness and encourage you to look at Jesus. And for those of us who have made a commitment to Christ and are attempting to follow Christ, look at Jesus. Because if we are going to be what we've been called to be, more than anything else, we will be a community of people a radically revolutionary, in a revolutionary way, committed to Calvary-like love, compassion, whether people deserve it or not. So as you think about people in your life, a person, maybe it's a group of people, maybe it's people who who have embraced an ideology or a lifestyle or have a different opinion about social issues, whatever it may be, as you think about those people, can you pray for God to give you a heart of compassion? Maybe your first prayer is not a heart of compassion, but God, help me to want to pray for a heart of compassion. Maybe your first prayer is, help me to want to want to pray for a heart of compassion. But wherever you need to start, start there. Because once you start, God can do something with that. And he can change you, and he can change me, and he can change us. So that we become a body of believers who are identified and known by our compassion, our Christ-like, cross-like, revolutionary compassion.
Let's just take a moment of silence to pray. Father, help us open our eyes, our hearts, our spirits and we ask this through Christ Jesus, amen. Please stand as we sing. was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and love had led me to
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.